if you're like me, you want to get your business ahead, but there's certain skills you need, but you just don't have. If this sounds like you, then you need to head over to Fiverr. They have a whole array of professionals that can help you in different areas from design to writing, marketing, and more. They have you covered. I seriously can't tell you how much Fiverr.com has helped me along with this podcast. Um, I've used them so much for this podcast. It's been unreal. They make my flyers. They go ahead and um, I hire this guy to help me upload the each episode and in the beginning in order for me to be all over the place it was I was totally going to Fiverr it was I seriously just it's I've gotten so much for my business through them so please use my link which you can find in the description of this episode or you can go to MarcellaAlonzo.com and book there through Fiverr today you'll be glad you did Hello and welcome to Get Schooled. Today I have the son of the le- legendary movie director Gerard Damiano. Welcome, welcome, and thank you so much. Please introduce yourself. Um, let my audience know who you are and who your father is and what he is famous for. <laughs> Uh, well, thank you for having me on, Marcella. It's a great pleasure to be here, even virtually. And mm-hmm. um, yes, my name is Gerard Damiano Jr., uh, son of Gerard Damiano Sr., who's um, you know still considered to be um, probably the most critically acclaimed adult filmmaker of the golden age of porn, um, and that being from the uh, early 70s uh, through the 80s. Um, He's best known for the film Deep Throat, which he wrote, directed, um, even has a little cameo in, wrote the lyrics to the song and so forth. But um, uh, he would be the first to tell you it's not really a very good film. Um, He was a little embarrassed by it, but it was the best that they could do at the time. Um, He was just young and starting out and had a young crew that were very excited to be uh, filming on 35 millimeter film. Uh, But he went on to make... um, uh, some better, more serious films, at least in his opinion, uh, The Devil and Miss Jones, A Story of Joanna, Memories Within Miss Aggie, um, to name but a few. Um, so uh, is that uh, mm-hmm. is that sufficient? Yes, uh, yes. Um, when did you, when, how old were you when your father made this film? Um, I was seven. Uh, mm-hmm. My sister was six years old. Oh, okay. So it was too small. Um, did you... When did you first realize your father first made a porn? Like what um, age was well, that? Well, my father made his first um, film or was involved in film production when I was three and a half, four years old and made his first film when I was four. And my sister and I were both, even at that age, very well aware that our father was a filmmaker. It was something that he was very passionate about, something that he was proud of. And we were proud of him. Um, but of course, at that age, we didn't even really know what sex was. So it mm-hmm. wasn't until years later that, um, you know, I actually saw one of his films um, uh, shortly after Deep Throat. You know, he was uh, prosecuted. Um, he was arrested. He had to appear in court all over the country. And our mother just explained it to us that, um, you know, he was ahead of his time. People weren't really ready for his films. Um, and they didn't understand, but um, but someday maybe they would. Um, so 
you know, again, it wasn't a secret that our dad made movies. We just um, never got to see them as kids. Mm. And what age was he arrested? And, and how was that time period during that? Well, it was, as you can imagine, um, you know, a very stressful time for our family. You know, kids are very sensitive. We didn't really understand what all was going on or why, you know, we we loved our father. We couldn't understand why anybody would want to try to hurt him or put him in mm-hmm. jail. So that never made sense to us. And, you know, now that I'm older and know more of the story, it makes less sense to me now than it did even then. Wow. Um, so, you know, our father was under a lot of pressure during that time. Um, he was dragged around the country um, to appear in court and he would also, you know, be quick to tell you that that was at his own expense. You know, if you were indicted and you have to go appear or testify, you know, in Arizona, which he did, um, mm-hmm. you know, he had to fly himself out there, take time off of work, pay his way, put himself up in a hotel just to, you know, either defend himself in court or appear as a witness. Um, because at a certain point, um, he and Linda Lovelace both were granted immunity but they were forced to testify against their friend um, Harry Reams and other people involved in the production. And our father, you know, also, you know, told me at a very young age when I started asking him about, you know, about the court case, it was something that that troubled him. When I say court case, there were there were many court cases that he said, you know, they don't grant immunity to you; they force you into it. Either they were going to arrest me, or I had to testify against my own friends. And it put mm-hmm. him in a very difficult situation, but it also gave him the opportunity to speak out against what he saw as uh, censorship. Um, he saw as really a violation of First Amendment rights. Um, these were all consenting adults who had agreed to um, to perform in these films. Um, and he felt that what he said in court literally was this, you know, I wrote the script. This is an actor portraying a role. You know, and I'm paraphrasing, I don't have the court documents in front of me, but I've, I've read them. He said, you know, if I wrote a story about a jewel thief, are you going to arrest him for grand larceny? It's just a story. It's fiction. OK, so he had an opportunity to, you know, make some statements and get the jury, you know, thinking and even the judge. You know, there is one case where, you know, the Deep Throat, you know, famously drew attention to the female orgasm and the, the clitoris. Mm-hmm. And. He had to in, literally in court explain to the judge in front of the jury and everyone else what the clitoris was. The, the judge had no idea. Um, so he tried to take advantage of the opportunity of being in the spotlight, even, you know, in this negative way to um, to speak about what he strongly believed in. And that was freedom of speech and freedom of expression. Wow. With him being in the spotlight, did you as a child um didn't were stigmatized any kids making how was it affecting both you and your sister as you were growing up Um, what did you hear or did any friends or anybody at school say anything to you guys well absolutely now you know this was you know well before the days of the internet okay but thank god yeah you know like I could only imagine um you know what it might have been like like then but but still um with the media then available you know, we grew up in, in Queens, in New York City, and mm-hmm. our father um, was very recognizable. And so people would stop us on the street. You know, they'd want his autograph or, hey, there's that guy, you know, <laughs> when um, 
when he started, you know, making headlines, good, bad, or, or, or ugly, you know, he was recognizable and everybody knew. And so when we went to school, even, you know, we were in elementary school as mm -hmm. his career started to take off as, um, you know, it's what, what's now referred to as the golden age of porn, you know, went on and he was now known for several films and he was on the, the news and in the newspaper and, and so forth. And, you know, people talk and anything, you know, sex or, or you know, sex related um, is always a hot topic for gossip. Yes. So, you know, even kids in our class would talk and their parents would talk and, you know, um, kids would would ask us, oh, have you ever done this or seen that? Or is it true that your your father held a gun to Linda Lovelace's head to make her perform yeah. in Deep Throat? They, they would ask you this in school? Yes. Yes. And, you know, as kids, you know, that was a bit of a shock. Um, but, you know, later, you know, when, when she wrote her book and it's easy to see how her story, which is a very complicated one and where she did suffer abuse, but at the hands of her own husband, right. you know, never, never, you know, by the cast or crew of, of Deep Throat, nothing like that. But mm -hmm. people, you know, have a lot of prejudice against, um, you know, sex work, against yes. uh, porn films and pornography and so they've already, you know, in many cases, drawn their own conclusions. So they're looking for things to back them up. And so when they heard, oh, Linda Lovelace, you know, had a gun held to her head, they felt, of course, you know, no woman would ever want to be in a porn film. So she must have been forced to do it at gunpoint, which was not true at all. You know, actually, Deep Throat, in some ways, helped her to get away from an abusive relationship and the... uh you know, the fame and the celebrity that the, the film afforded her introduced her to larger circles of people that that, you know, said, what are you doing with this abusive asshole that's beating you up and, and like that? And she was able to get away from him. Um, so it's, you know, really unfair to say that it was, you know, porn was her, her downfall where it could very well save her life at that time. Yeah, no, um, I interviewed uh, Lana Evans on this podcast and she said uh porn helped her leave an abusive relationship too oh. as well so it, it, it sex work does help people that are stuck in situations and leave situations whether you know it they well, they're in a relationship that's abusive or the person's being controlling now the sex worker whether it's male or female is able to get more freedom so that's it seems like linda lovelace had the same effect too as well well one thing that i'd like to say about quote unquote, porn stars, mm -hmm. because, you know, Linda Lovelace was considered to be the very first porn star. Now, mm -hmm. when she made Deep Throat, it was unprecedented. There was no adult film industry. Nobody knew what being a porn star really was. And at first she was very, very excited about it. Now, you know, 50 years later, there's an entire industry worth billions and billions of dollars there's you know it's a career path for some people that they could mm -hmm. choose and have a career as a porn star and, and so forth and there's also a lot of stereotypes and things that go along with that where people talk about porn stars as if they're you know talking about you know giraffes or something as if you could paint them all with the same brush when you know from my own experience not only working alongside my dad but also you know writing and directing adult films myself and and working with a lot of people over the years on different productions is that these are all individuals that there yes. is no such thing as a quote unquote porn star that you could describe everyone with uh, one statement because 
everybody has their different reasons for, for getting into the business, for doing what they do. Some are very um, proud, sex positive. Some do it for the money. Some do it for the thrill. You know, some are real exhibitionists and they get off on, on having sex in front of people. And mm-hmm. some have really tragic stories where they never should have gotten involved and, you know, they couldn't handle with it. There's, you know, enough stories about, you know, porn stars, sex workers who commit suicide. You know, they can't, they can't take all of the, you know, emotional burden, the stigma, all the things that go along with um, being a sex worker. So, you know, again, I think it's, it's unfair when people say, oh, porn stars this or porn stars that, because we're talking about a group of very varied individuals that only have one thing in common, and that is that they've agreed to have sex on camera. Right, correct. Speaking of which, how was your experience um, with Linda Lovelace? How did you know her as a child? Well, we met Linda on the set of Deep Throat. Mm-hmm. Um, my sister and I were down in Miami with our mother and our family. It was a family trip when wow. Deep Throat was made. We were very excited to go down there. Um, now, you know, I always have to say that as children, we were never exposed to hardcore sex or pornography of any right. kind. I mean, our father raised us even before Deep Throat to believe that the human body was a beautiful thing. It was nothing mm-hmm. to be ashamed of, that, that nudity was perfectly okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but we didn't, beyond that, we didn't know what sex was at seven years old. But we were definitely present for all the exteriors and, the, you know, different location shots and so forth. And when my, my father was filming what he called the nitty gritty, mm-hmm. our mother would usher us off the set and take <laughs> us off the location or whatever so that we wouldn't see that. So when we got to Miami, we knew most of the people that were there on the crew because my father had been working um, with them for years. Um, they were all very close. It was almost like a, a family. You know, everybody was always working on each other's films. You know, these people were in and out of our, our, our house all the time. Mm-hmm. My mother would type up scripts for people and like that. So, you know, most of the crew members we knew, um, a couple of the cast members we did, uh, particularly Harry Reams, who was very mm-hmm. close with my father, was our Uncle Herbie. So, oh, it's your uncle Herbie. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what we called him. I mean, uh-huh. you know, it's not not actually our uncle, but right, um, right. that's how we we knew him. And now, Uncle Herbie was fun to play with. Okay, he was he was a really funny guy. He liked to you know throw the football around and like that, and he was always always fun. Now, we never met Linda until we got to Miami, and even that, it was just a brief meeting. We knew she was the star of the movie. My father introduced us to Linda and Chuck as, you know, kids, you know, these are my mm-hmm. children. You know, she was certainly nice. Um, she she spoke favorably about us later when she wrote her book Ordeal, you know, that she, you know, even though she had a lot of bad things to say about the porn industry, she never really said anything bad about our father because he was very professional. He treated her as a professional and like that. And, you know, the fact that we were there um, as well. And our mother was, you know, it wasn't, it didn't really conform to what people think of a stereotype of what would happen on a porn set. Like you would never bring your family, you know, exactly. But our father was, you know, more interested in making films and they just happened Mm -hmm. to have sex in them. So, you know, the thing about Linda and Chuck that even we picked up on as kids is that they, you know, they didn't play with kids. Okay. They weren't interested in us 
And, Mm -hmm. you know, my father spoke about it later and spoke to me about it and said, you know, they really kept to themselves. They had this kind of dominant submissive relationship. Um, Chuck was very protective over her. He did all the talking and he, um, you know, he kept her apart from everybody as best he could. Now, by the end of the film, you know, she was the star of the movie. So she really got a, you know, a star treatment even on a low budget film. Um, But, you know, again, we didn't have the same kind of relationship with her as we did with um, with her co-star, you know, Harry Reams. Um, Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the the cameraman will be very close with and, you know, again, other members of the of the crew. Um, So, you know, again, that was the one and only time I knew her. My father would um, run into her in the courtroom because they were mm-hmm. both dragged into court oh, wow. in Memphis, Tennessee. You know, he, he, um, he told me, you know, they, they brought him into court in, in Covington, Kentucky. And he said, I've never even made a phone call to Covington, Kentucky. <laughs> and, you know, I have to go down there on my own dime and stay in a hotel. And just so I can tell them that, you know, I didn't do it, <laughs> you know, that I'm, I'm not guilty or whatever. And that nobody involved in the production was, was guilty of any crimes. You know, and he thought that was that was really ludicrous. But, you know, that's that's uh, what was happening at the time. And so he would run into Linda in the courtroom. And there was one time famously, you know, he told me the story um, that when he was in Memphis, where the the big trial finally was, it took him years that, you know, to to have this trial. And um, a lot of people were indicted and Harry Reams and Linda and, the, mm-hmm. you know, the producers and the, everybody involved. Um, and he said, you know, they were there for, for days and days. And he said, at a certain point, the FBI came and when they were, when the court was adjourned and they were, had a recess or whatever. And, and the FBI agent came to him and said, there's somebody here that wants to, to see you. And so they led my father into a, a separate room off of the courtroom. And mm-hmm. here was Linda. And <laughs> my father took one look and he just said, we got to stop meeting like this. <laughs> and they laughed and, you know, you know, caught up a little bit. And he said that was the last time that he actually saw her. Now, you know, years later, when she came out against pornography, it really caught him by surprise because, you know, um, she had you know, she did have a rough go of it. There's no doubt. Um, And she evolved. And as she evolved as a person, her story changed and evolved as well. And so when she, you know, made some statements about, you know, doing things against her will and being raped on, you know, the set of Deep Throat, it really caught my father and everyone else involved by surprise, because that Mm -hmm. wasn't their experience. I mean, she was, was very willing to do the, the sex, Although they did, you know, experience some abuse that she suffered at the hands of her husband. But, you know, being on the set was more of a safe space for her because when the crew was around, you know, they were protective of her. And, you know, she was, you know, started to get away from him and he was very jealous. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, he lashed out at her, you know, during that time. And and there were witnesses to that. Um, But in terms of her participating in the film, you know, against her will, that came as a surprise to everyone who was involved. Right. That wasn't their experience of it at all. Wow. Now, when all this was going on, your uh, and I've heard you in different interviews talk about your mother was the one to hold it down. Did you or your sister feel any of this stress during that period of time? And what? How did your mother? Was she more comforting, or what? Tell us more about your mom and how she handled things. Well, 
you know, our mother was really the, what, I would call her the unsung hero of Deep Throat in that, uh-huh. you know, the, the film never could have been made without her, without her um, support and right. participation in that, um, you know, my father uh, was not very experienced. You know, he was a hairdresser. He had a mm-hmm. beauty salon that he, um, you know, owned and managed and cut hair. My mother worked as a receptionist there. Mm-hmm. And so as my father started to, um, you know, meet people in the underground film industry in the, you know, in the late 1960s in New York City and go off on these different jobs, you know, my mother kept the business running and going and so forth. And then, you know, would type up the scripts and, you know, she had gone to secretarial school. So she was a really good typist and could take dictation and so forth. So, you know, she typed up all his scripts um, as he started getting involved in film production. Um, she learned as he learned on the job. You know, she basically was the production office, you know, booking all the rentals and, you know, making the phone calls and setting everything up and, you know, doing the bookkeeping and all of that. Um, and really you know, showed unconditional love to my father to support him in doing what he loved to do, which was film. You know, he was very passionate about filmmaking. And when he found that he had the opportunity to actually do it, um, my mother cleared a path for him so that he could focus on that. So she took care of all the business and, you know, she kept the beauty salon running and she, you know, gave him moral support, you know, propped him up and got him out the door and ironed his shirts and, you know, raised my sister and I with her left hand while she was doing all of that. And so, um, you know, and when I say again, she was unsung hero, is that she did all of this out of love for my father. You know, that was the path that he chose. Um, it's not what she really, what she had expected when she, you know, married him, you know, yeah. this was years before. Um, but that's what he wanted to do. And so she supported him completely and enabled him to do it. And it wasn't until, you know, after the success of Deep Throat and some time after that they finally, you know, closed the beauty salon because, you know, again, my father made, you know, took a leap of faith, you know, made his first really big, um, feature length film. Mm -hmm. They didn't know that it would, you know, no one cast crew anybody could have predicted the huge success that it was um so you know again they weren't ready to to give up the the shop as they called it and so again our mother was very supportive and also you know she was there when our father was was getting in trouble Mm -hmm. um and you know again explain to us kids as best you could in this very difficult situation how you know, our father wasn't a bad person just because the FBI came to the house and took him away or, you know, like that, or he's, right. on, you know, in the newspaper in, in the handcuffs or whatever, uh-huh. you know, that he was not wrong, that he was not bad, that he was misunderstood and so forth. And so, you know, that put her in a difficult position. But again, because, you know, she loved him and she loved us. She did what she had to do to, to keep it all going. And, you know, his name was cleared he went on to make much better films and she, you know, never sought the credit. She never sought the limelight. Um, she made some appearances with him early on because, uh, you know, after the success, not only of Deep Throat, but after, you know, he had a string of hits right after that. Mm-hmm. And when the the golden age of porn or, or porno chic, as it was, you know, then called, um, you know, was underway, 
there was a lot of opportunities for him to speak on forums and, you know, he did the college lecture tour um, circuit. And so she went on some of those uh, speaking engagements with him, but otherwise um, she would be home, you know, taking care of us kids while he would be making public appearances or going on, you know, TV shows and, and like that. She never sought the, the limelight or credit. Wow. She just was a dedicated wife. How many years were they married? Uh, they were married for 15 years. Oh, okay. Oh, nice. So she was a really good wife to him and she supported his dreams. Well, I mean, that was that was back during a time where, you know, there was this concept of being a, a housewife and she was okay. With right. It, that was, it was, him. right. Mm-hmm. That was a very, very different time. And the amount of love, like she said, that was, it was, she was ahead of her time for mm-hmm. marriage, very well, open-minded. Well, she did. And she was then very independent, you know, when they separated, you know, she, she led her own full life, but she, you know, she really did, um, you know, what, whatever she could to help him while they were, were together. You know, now being married to the the king of porn, you know, after, you know, after years became a difficult thing. And that's, you know, that's, uh, you know, a different story. But we're talking about the early days when, you know, my father was was hoping to go to Hollywood and make Hollywood movies. And that was everybody's dream that worked on on Deep Throat and on some of these other films together is that they didn't see it as uh, an end in and of itself. They saw it as a means to get to a greater goal, which was to do bigger, more ambitious projects, and then, you know, go to Hollywood and do what uh, my dad would call straight films. (laughs) Straight film. That was was a term he used back then, straight films. Yes, because now, you know, straight films would, you know, differentiate from gay films, we would say. Right, right, right. Even AVN has, um, people were telling me when they went to AVN this year, they had, uh, I don't know how the proper term, heterosexual, and then it was gay AVN. And they had like two oh, different they, award uh, shows. So now Gavian, it's, I think they yeah, it. they had Gavian. Yeah. So now, yeah, that's a very different <laughs> term. Um, what age did you first see the film and when, um, how old were you when you first saw the film and did you see it with your father and how was that like? Um, well, no, I did not see it with my father <laughs> or with my, you know, father or mother's um, permission or consent. Okay. Okay. Thank <laughs> you, you know, for clarifying. I was, I was 15 years old. So I mm-hmm. was, you know, indeed underage. Mm -hmm. Um, but I saw it in New York city. Um, it played on, you know, around 42nd street when, you know, 42nd street really was, you know, lived up to that reputation, you know, that it now has when, you know, people talk about the deuce and, and like that, you know, now it's a whitewashed Walt Disney world, but back, you know, back in the seventies and into the eighties, it was a, you know, really gritty place. Um, and, uh, it played at the same theater there, um, for more than 10 years and Mm -hmm. it played on um a double feature with uh the devil and miss jones another one of my father's film and it was around the clock every hour on the hour (laughs) you know you could go and um played all day and night for years and years and years um so you know my best friend and i we hopped the turnstile and went into the city you know as soon as we could get away and and go in and you know the the guy at the ticket, you know, counter, it didn't even look up from his racing form. You know, I was, I was small for my age and I could barely reach up, you know, he just said $5. So I put, you know, the money up and went in and um, you know, it was, 
it was something that I had now at that point, you know, known for more than half my life, you know, deep right. throat, deep throat, deep throat. So, you know, by 15, I certainly knew, you know, what porn was and what, you know, sex was all about, or at least I thought. So, you know, I had to see his film. Um, and so my friend and I, we watched both Deep Throat and Devil and Miss Jones in the same, you know, back to back in the same afternoon um, for five bucks, which back then was a lot of money. You know, movies were were two dollars, you know, but to see to see the the big porn films on 42nd Street, you have to pay more. Um, and, uh, you know, I have to say that that uh, the opening scene of Deep Throat you know, is a, a Linda. I don't know if you've seen the film. Have you seen the film Deep Throat? I've just seen parts of it. Just parts of it. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll have to we'll have to change that. You know? Yes. Yes. To, yes. Uh, I have to see. <laughs> because so. you know, what I found is that everybody knows about the film and they've heard different things and yeah, you know, where they at least have heard of it. But right. nowadays, so few people have actually seen the film. And, you know, my, my sister and I have been on a, a tour for the 50th anniversary of Deep Throat. We've been um, showing the films in theater, uh, showing the film in theaters, um, which is kind of harkens back to the 1970s, because, you know, nowadays, most uh, porn is consumed on a smartphone, you know, under the, oh, yeah. under the covers, you know, that for younger people, they have no concept of like going out to a theater to watch, a, you know, an adult film together, right. with, uh, you know, a mixed company where, you know, you might run into somebody, you know, or maybe there's so, a So back when you were 15, because this is, this is kind of curiosity for me. And I know, like majority, I'm not and I'm not pushing anything under age. What was your thought and how was that knowing you're watching your father's masterpiece, but then yet you're still this teenage boy. Do you understand? Yeah, well, like there's a conflict of interest. And I'm just curious because um, I have adult children now. They know of what I've done in the past and they don't talk about it. They don't, they don't glamorize it. There's some things like my oldest will be like, mom, I don't want to see it mm-hmm. or anything, but what was how, you know, some, some things my kids are embarrassed about. Well, um, and, did well, you have any of this embarrassed? Did you have any of this pride because, Hey, that's my dad's movie or. Well, a couple of awkward? things that, that yeah. you know, that you've brought up that, you know, that I, I, I could speak to one is that, you know, on that day, seeing that movie, I started to mention the film opens with, um, Linda getting in a, you know, a, a blue Cadillac Eldorado and driving through Miami. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's a long, you know, and especially by today's standards in a porn film, usually it's, you know, it's a clip. You go right to the sex, but this was an actual movie. So there's a very long drawn out, you know, opening sequence of Linda driving this Cadillac all through uh, Miami. And that was my dad's car. So my friend and I were, you know, my, <laughs> very familiar with the car. I mean, you know, my dad would pick me up at school or whatever. Everybody knew that car. <laughs> we were more excited about seeing our, oh, that's your car, you know, on the big <laughs> screen like that than the sex, you know, oh, with like a very personal right. thing like that. Yeah. Now, you know, that said, um, when you when you ask me to kind of relate this to your own situation yeah. you know, as a sex worker with children, you know, there is a bit of a double standard that, you know, I think is, you know, bears noting in this is that my father was a writer, director. We saw him as an artist. Mm-hmm. And so to see his film, we were seeing his work. Now we had we had heard so much about it that no film could have ever lived up to that. But it was like, you know, it was almost like losing my virginity to see that film. It's like, all right, it's it's over with now. At least I know what everybody's been talking about, you know, mm-hmm. and, and like that. Um, but, 
you know, again, the difference is that, you know, you yourself would have been in front of the camera. And for a woman to actually have sex, you know, is a very different thing um, than the, your director. child. Right. You know, in right. other words, to see my father's film as he's director and he was, you know, then at that point acclaimed for making this film was different. Now, had it been my mother, you know, acting in a film, having sex, I don't know if I I'd want to see that or be able right. to see that because, you know, that's what would Freud say? I mean, that's right. That's right. A that's a different point. Yeah. And yeah. so it's certainly, you know, not anything that I would, you know, um, if I was in your position, you know, subject to the kids to. Right. No, but no, no. If yeah. They, if they wanted to um, to see it, you know, I would, as my, my father did with us, just be very frank and open about it. Now, you know, my dear friend, um, Robin Leonardi, she grew up as the daughter of Gloria Leonard, who was, mm-hmm. um, you know, a contemporary of my father. They were good friends and worked together. Now, Gloria Leonard was, you know, not only a porn star of the golden age, mm-hmm. um, but uh, a very vocal, you know, uh, sex worker act um, activist, you know, uh, uh, very outspoken. She was a publisher of um, High Society magazine as well. Mm-hmm. She was not, you know, a one trick pony in, in terms of she did not just make, you know, was not just a porn star. She used her celebrity as a porn star in order to, um, you know, not only become an, an activist for women's rights, but also, you know, put herself in the position as publisher of a magazine. Now, I bring her up because, you know, she was a, a, a you know, acclaimed actress. Mm-hmm. Um, but for Robin, her daughter, who, you know, uh, Gloria was a single mom and, you know, raised Robin pretty much on her own. Um, it was, you know, she was very upfront with her daughter about what she was going to do before she made her first film. You know, her her daughter was a teenager and mm-hmm. she spoke with her about it. And she said, you know, if you if you don't want me to do it, I won't do it. But, you know, they had a very close relationship and a very open relationship. And so, you know, that was a very healthy way of dealing with it. But even still, you know, Robin, although she's very supportive of her mother and of her career, she's working on a film about her mother right now, Mm -hmm. um, but could not bring herself to watch her mother having sex because then that gets... Yeah, that's... Yeah. That's, you know, that kind of crosses a line. Right. Now, you know, my father appeared in all his films, but just in a small cameo, you know, I didn't mm-hmm. watch my dad have sex, you know, right. so, so that's, that's different. And even so, as a man, there's less stigma, right? You know? so, no, oh, you're right. Are, the you right know, what men... a stud, where yeah. it's like, you know, if it's a woman, oh, no, what a whore. And, right. uh, you know, that's something that's, you know, again, this kind of double standard that would make it difficult for, you know, somebody to watch their mother in film. No, no, it it is double standard, because I've interviewed a male um, I've interviewed a couple of male performers and one male performer said his whole family knew they were kind of proud where for females, you, you're right. It's a different, it's a totally different stigma for women. Yeah. And that's, yeah. And that exists outside of, of the world of porn. You right. Know, like, oh, like yeah. People think, you know, adult films are not made in a vacuum. This is just a reflection of what's really going on in, in the world, you know, if like if you're a guy and you know you fuck a lot of women you're a stud if you're a girl and do the same thing you know you're you're a whore yeah you're, you're ostracized easy. you're a slut yes. okay you're right. not celebrated you're not empowered you know but i think you know therein lies lies the the issue is that i think men are afraid of women's sexuality because they can be so powerful and so mm-hmm. you know it 
it protects them to to denigrate a woman who's in in her own power and enjoying her own sexuality you know uh, where it's okay for a guy you know sow your seed wherever you know right. the woman is the one that's got to stay home and raise the kid right speaking of which your sister she is a year younger than you or you're older uh, she's younger Okay. Did you witness anything that she might've went through that it would have been a different experience for her versus you? And did you ever um, feel like you needed to protect your sister a little bit more because of anybody, you know, saying anything to your younger sister? Did you feel like as a brother growing up with all this limelight from your father, you know, you had to be more protective there for your sister? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I did because you know, again, um, you know, teenage, teenage boys are the worst. Okay. And, um, you know, everybody, when we were in high school, it wasn't a secret who our father was and what Mm -hmm. he did, you know, his name was often in the paper. And because I share the same name, you know, it was hard to really distance ourselves, you know, everybody, oh, Gerard Damiano, Gerard Damiano Mm -hmm. Jr. I mean, one Mm -hmm. time, you know, my, my math teacher kept me after class, you know, I was probably in 10th grade and like confessed to me that, you know, one of my dad's movies was playing in town and she saw it with her husband who was the dean, you know, of students of the school and like that. So, you know, it was hard to keep something like that a secret. But, you know, even if our father wasn't the quote unquote king of porn, I think, you know, as an older brother, you know, and all my friends were interested in my little sister and I really mm. tried to keep them <laughs> at bay. And then I often thought about that because people thought, oh, because our dad made sex films that my sister was, you know, somehow, a, you know, a porn star. Or she was a slut, you know, or like that. And so I was protective. I kept, you know, all the my friends away from her. And it wasn't until mm-hmm. after, after high school that, um, you know, we were now both in college And, um, you know, I was spending some time with my sister over spring break Mm -hmm. and she had told me that, you know, she had a crush on a couple of my friends, but, you know, she could never you know, (laughs) be with them because I was always so protective and, you know, and like that and that I scared them all away. And I don't know what the version, you know, the version of like cock blocking, you know, for a woman would be, (laughs) you know, we were a good brother, you know. All these interviews, I have to say one thing. Um, You seem like an amazing son, an amazing brother, too. So um, your father did a very good job. What do you think? <laughs> well, thank you for saying that. But but, you know, again, the end of that of, of that part of it is that when my sister told me that, then we had an agreement that it's like, OK, I'll back off. You know, now she's a woman. She's in college. Right. She's out of high school. She can fuck whoever she wants to. Okay. I'm not going to get in in between. Okay. But I said, look, if any, if any guy disrespects you or treats you badly, or God forbid, raises his hand to you, I want to know about it. Then you call me. Otherwise, you know, you go and do, you know, she was living in Fort Lauderdale and in the, in the eighties and that, you know, Mm -hmm. Miami beach was just starting to happen and it was a real party scene. And so you know, I got the message and I said, all right, you go, you have fun, <laughs> but you know, you let me know if you're in trouble. Wow. That's just amazing. So that's great. Um, how was your father in his later years? Like, how was it um, as, you know, right now, like, you know, we all, I have family members and I see them aging and all that. How was reflecting upon the a movie as you were an adult and as he was, um, you know, the last couple of years? Well, my father and I were were always very close. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
there was a time where, you know, we, we grew apart a little bit, you know, he had moved out to California, he got, you know, he and, and my mother split up, he was remarried, we weren't particularly close with his, his wife. Um, mm -hmm. And also his, his life had started to change because he was very affected by, you know, I guess the, the disillusionment that came at the end of the golden age of porn. Mm -hmm. And by that, I mean that, um, that there was a time when, you know, after Deep Throat, um, the time that, again, is referred to as porno chic, where porn had, thanks to Deep Throat and, and um, Behind the Green Door and Debbie Does Dallas and a number of other, other films had crossed over into the mainstream. And the budgets were getting bigger and bigger. And at the same time, the Hollywood, um, you know, of studio system was failing. And so Hollywood films were starting to loosen up and show more, you know, um, allow more sexual themes and sexual content in the films. And there was this idea that the two were going to merge. And that's something that my father really believed in. I mean, he would talk about, um, you know, growing up watching Hollywood movies and, you know, the couple would kiss and the camera would then just pan away and then into the fireplace and, you know, cut to the, the woman pushing a baby carriage or whatever, you know, you never got to see it. And mm -hmm. he said, I want to make that same movie. But now when they start kissing, the camera just stays with them and you get to see what happens. But but that it would be, you know, A-list Hollywood stars, you know, performing sex on camera and so forth. Now, that started to happen. Um, but then with the advent of video, the whole bottom dropped out because suddenly there was this real gold rush that everyone was, um, uh, you know, rushing to make content because there was a huge demand now that people were watched, didn't have to go to the movie theater on 42nd Street or risk going to the, you know, whatever red light district of their town and maybe somebody mm -hmm. would see them going to an adult theater. There was all the stigma, you know, like that, even though for a time, you know, there were, even when my math teacher went to see the movie, there was no red light district down in Florida at the time. This was playing in a regular, you know, movie theater. So it was, you know, people believed that, you know, there would be G rated movie and an R rated movie and an X rated movie all at the multiplex at the same time. Mm -hmm. But then with video, not only did people bring VCRs home um, and just started watching, you know, um, getting videotapes at, you know, behind the beaded curtain and bringing them home. Um, but the role had changed because when my father was making films, he was, you know, considered himself a filmmaker. And so he really wanted to um, make what he said. He said, I don't make sex films. I make films with sex in them. And mm -hmm. so there is a lot of, you know, build up a lot of character development, plot development to involve the sex in a movie. Mm -hmm. Now with videotapes, people were watching these things in their own home and suddenly it shifted from, you know, like a cinematic experience to what would have been called at the time, a marital aid where you go to the sex shop and <laughs> get, you know, dildo or French Taylor, right. you know, you don't hear that term so much anymore, but you know, and a videotape that you would watch with your partner or partners or whatever, as part of, of your, your, you know, play sexy time okay right. it wasn't about going to the movies now it was more about you know enhancing your your intimate experience at home so yeah. suddenly there was um less emphasis 
on the story, the plot development, production value, and so forth. It was more just about, you know, any excuse to film people in bed quicker and cheaper and, and like that. And so suddenly the market was glutted with this kind of product. So I say all this because, you know, my father, this really had taken a toll on him because he had saw, he had lived through kind of the rise of the adult film industry. And at the end of his life, there was no no place for him in it in that okay. he continued to make movies. But suddenly, you know, when he got he had to go out to California because now there was an adult film industry, which never really existed before. You know, when he made Deep Throat, um, there were real actors and actresses that were trying to get other parts. And this happened at a time where they saw, you know, um, performing sex on screen as just an extension of of their acting you know, kind of pushing the limits of of what you can do as an actor, you know, can you stay in character, continue to perform, you know, like that, where, you know, by the, the early 90s, when my father made his last films, there was, and, and, you know, I'm reluctant even to say films, because these are what, you know, now we would refer to as shot on video features, okay, mm. they never showed in a movie theater, there was yeah. no film involved at all, it was all shot on video, the budgets were super low, and so my father, because of his reputation and his clout, he was able to get a little more money and a little more, you know, production time on these later projects that he made, but that still wasn't very much in that right. they were shooting what um, was referred to as one day wonders, where you'd make a whole movie in a day or make two movies in a day or more where, you know, there was now a whole formula. There was a whole industry backing that up that, you know, you could be a porn star in, in LA and work every day. You know, you go out on calls, there's always somebody shooting and like that. And so my father became, you know, bitter about this because, you know, he had shot on 35 millimeter film and, you know, had large budgets where they would shoot on location and they would have, you know, all of all of the production value that you would expect in a real Hollywood film. And now suddenly, as he put it, anybody with uh, with a video camera and a credit card is now a filmmaker. And so, you know, nobody wanted to pay him what he felt he deserved or put that much money into making um, a movie because now it was the box cover that sold the film, not the content. Yes, the box cover days. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, they made those big clamshell boxes mm -hmm. with only purpose was to get a bigger picture on it. And they would literally spend more money. And my father told me this because, you know, this is where he became, again, very disillusioned because he would shoot a film and again, I, I use that term loosely, a film, but mm -hmm. he would um, shoot a feature and maybe he would get, instead of one day, he would get two days. Or what he would do is they would give him three days to shoot two movies. So he would do a part one and a part two or, or like that, where he tried to get a little more time because, you know, the sex you can shoot pretty quick, but all the dialogue and the exteriors and the, the stuff that really builds up the mm -hmm. film, that takes a long a long time to do but even then he said that the budget that they have to shoot the box cover 
was bigger than the budget that I had to make the whole movie. Oh, man. Where it would be a separate production. They bring in, you know, top photographers. They spare no expense. You know, they get the Rolls Royce in the shot. You know, they rent <laughs> the car, have the woman draped on it. But in order to make the movie, they didn't have the budget for that in the film. But it would be on the on the box cover, that kind of thing. So, you know, that was very difficult for him because, you know, again, he went into this um, very optimistically and saw, you know, how people reacted to his early films and this, um, you know, the 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 crossover into the mainstream of adult content and all of that. And now by the end, it was, you know, he couldn't compete with somebody that was willing to do two films in a day. You know, right. and the producers were, were, you know, were just looking at their bottom line and they're like, you know, think of all the money we could make if we could make three films in a day. Oh, and gosh. my father is thinking, how he's can too much of a creative movie? genius. Yeah, well, he would think, how can you make an actual movie in a day? Yeah, you could shoot people fucking all day mm-hmm. long. You know, mm-hmm. that you could do. But to have them do, you know, two lines of dialogue or walk across, you know, walk through the forest or whatever, that would take all day. And you couldn't do that anymore. So, you know, that's where he finally retired because, you know, he just didn't want to um, continue to aim lower and lower and lower. And so that was hard. But at the end of, you know, his at the end of his career, um, after he and then his wife split up and he was living alone, you know, out in California in the desert, you know, in a trailer that he couldn't afford to keep, you know, Um. he and my sister and I. We all pulled our money together and we put a down payment on a real house that we could all live together. Um, and my sister and I, we had been traveling. We had tra- you know, lived in a van together and we're traveling across America and looking to maybe settle down. And then we, you know, we realized that the best thing to do would be to all, you know, get together and have a real house. So we did that. And, um, you know, we were very fortunate to spend, um, you know, our father's final years together with him, all living together and had that time with him. Oh, that's so pretty. That's so beautiful. Sorry. I'm like such a touching story. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I love the way you guys, both you and your uh, sister supported him in the end. That's very beautiful. Now um, for the future of Deep Throat, you have one goal um, I understand is you would like to get it in the Library of Congress, is it? Did I say that correctly? Well, the Library of Congress has um, what they call the National Film Registry, which okay. is something that they've been doing for about, um, you know, it's, I think, going on 36 years um, now, which um, they select 25 films per year um, for preservation. Now, mm-hmm. I've learned that that doesn't mean they preserve them themselves, but these mm-hmm. are films that they feel are important um, contributions to American culture that should be preserved. And right. according to their, you know, to their mission statement, um, they want to represent all aspects of American filmmaking. And the criteria for uh, the National Film Registry is that a film needs to be 10 years old or, or older. Um, mm-hmm. It has to have um, cultural, historic, or um, aesthetic significance. Now, you could debate the aesthetic significance of Deep Throat. Some people would say it was a masterpiece. Some people would say it's, you know, porn and garbage and should be burned. But the historic and cultural contributions of Deep Throat are indisputable. And so um, although they've um, been selecting 
25 films a year for more than 30 years. Um, not a single adult film has been chosen. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a, a number of X-rated films um, in the National Film Registry, which includes like um, uh, Midnight Cowboy, for example, mm-hmm. which is an excellent film um, and really captures 42nd Street, the, you know, the deuce during that, you know, that gritty time. Um, but there is no hardcore sex shown in the film. There's, you know, strong sexual themes, um, but it's not considered an adult film. But it did, you know, get the X rating. I mean, if you're familiar with the film, you know, spoiler alert, it's about a male prostitute who comes to New York City looking to make a buck. <laughs> um, and so um, a film like that has been accepted, but not a single adult film has. And so my sister and I felt that, you know, for the 50th anniversary of Deep Throat, um, that it would only be right you know, to be the first film to be accepted because, you know, again, it's, um, it changed the way that uh, laws about obscenity were written. It changed the Hollywood model for, you know, uh, sex scenes and the right. way, um, you know, uh, sex was treated. And it's certainly been referenced in all forms of, of uh, media, you know, from musicals and plays to countless movies and books and, you know, stand-up routines and, I mean, I remember as kids, it was like a question on on Jeopardy or something that we're watching a game show on TV and Deep Throat was the answer to the question. And we felt like <laughs> we were more proud of our father for that, because for us as kids, Aww. like, wow, he's, you know, he's mm-hmm. really made it um, like that. But but um, all these years, you know, people have voted for Deep Throat um, and it had been denied uh, in, in 2022. Um, my sister and I campaigned a bit is that we spoke about it. We asked people to vote and we know hundreds of people that actually, you know, emailed us and sent us a thumbs up and said, I voted, I voted. But yet again, it was overlooked. So we're, it, you know, inviting people because the the ballots don't don't roll over year after year. Mm-hmm. So for 2023, you got to, you know, start all over again. Um, so if you visit votethroat.org, as in orgasm. Votethroat.org. Dot org. Okay. Um, there'll be more information about the process and a link that will take you um, to the National Film Registry where you can vote for up to 50 films. Um, but we only ask that you include a deep throat in there as well while you're doing it. And, um, you know, it's our hope that um, the deep throat will receive the recognition that it deserves. Wow. Well, thank you so much. This has been a, a very beautiful episode, and I love the way you're uh, looking out for your legacy with your family. Thank you. So we all need to go. If anybody's listening, please go to votethroat.org and vote for Deep Throat. Help, help us get in there. Uh, Gerard, thank you so much for coming on Get Schooled. This was a lovely episode, and I loved hearing about your family. So thank you so much for coming on today. Well, thank you so much, Marcella. It was my pleasure. Um, I hope to see you again. And as we um, plan the rest of our tour, we're still on a, you know, a world tour. Um, we're regrouping for the last half of it, but we're going to yeah. be in the West Coast and um, a few locations in the United States, and then we're going abroad again. So I'd love to come back and talk about that a little more. And yes. I would like to invite you and all your listeners to come find us on social media, um, Deep Throat Movie on Instagram, uh, Deep Throat Film on Facebook and Twitter. All right. Thank you so much for again. Thank you.